0: You're listening to On Attachment, a place to learn about how attachment shapes the way we experience relationships and where you'll gain the guidance, knowledge, and practical tools to overcome insecurity and build healthy, thriving relationships. I'm your host, relationship coach Stephanie Rigg, and I'm really glad you're here. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of On Attachment. Today's episode is about anxious attachment and inconsistency. So so unpacking why inconsistency is so triggering and challenging for anxiously attached people in relationships and even the perception of inconsistency. So any sort of changes in the temperature of the relationship, why that is such a struggle for anxiously attached people, what that can bring up what the go-to responses tend to be for anxiously attached people when they experience that in their relationships and some reframes for you if that's something that you struggle with so that you can feel a little bit more supported, a little bit more resourced in your system and a little less panicky and out of control when you do perceive any, you know, ebbs and flows in the relationship so that you can feel sort of more grounded and secure within yourself and not so at the mercy of something outside of you in determining your emotional state and your sense of okayness, as I like to say. Before we dive into all of that, a couple of quick announcements. You probably have heard me speaking about Healing Anxious Attachment, my signature program, and I'm very excited to say that it is opening for enrollment in five days' time. There are over 1,600 people on the wait list currently, which is absolutely nuts. Amazing, super exciting, and I'm so looking forward to welcoming all of those new people in in a few days' time. Rather than telling you all of the amazing things about the course, I thought that instead I would just share some testimonials from past students because I think that those are a real testament to the power of the program and, you know, speak volumes more than I could by just rattling off things like, you know, the modules and and the rest of it. So if you'll indulge me to share a few of these testimonials, which I have to say are just a handful of many. And, you know, I I get shivers when I read these, even though I've read them a million times, it is so humbling and I'm deeply grateful to be able to share this program with people and get these incredible transformations. So the first one I want to share is, this is one of the best investments I've made in myself. I had so many major personal revelations in Healing Anxious Attachment. Each module led me to a deeper understanding of my wounds, my beliefs, my old stories, and my truths. I unpacked years of emotional pileup, and I believe it is planting the seeds for a transformational season in my life. The next one is... My biggest breakthrough is realizing that it's okay to be anxiously attached. I now know that I'm not flawed and it's a work in progress. I am and always have been just trying to keep myself safe. And I'm ready now to start navigating a healthier, secure relationship pattern. And the last one is, I believe in myself and love myself so much more than I ever have. Taking your program has been so amazing and I'm so grateful that I discovered you. I can't thank you enough. I'm crying as I type this. I just wish I'd known and understood all that you've taught me many years ago. My life would have been so very different. Getting a bit emotional reading those. um, It really does touch me very deeply. And as I said, makes me feel so grateful. So I'll leave it at that. If you want to join the program, please join the wait list. That way you get access on the 12th when doors open and you also save 25% or $111 off the purchase price. So the link to join the waitlist is in the show notes. You have nothing to lose and everything to gain from joining that list. You obviously have no obligation to sign up, but if you're at all interested, pop your name on the list and then at least you have the option. The second quick announcement, and I apologize for the longer than usual preamble, is that I'm running a mastermind program. It's a small group, 15 people max, and you will be going deep with me over five months. So whereas Healing Anxious Attachment is a course and it's largely self-paced and self-directed in that you watch videos and you work through the workbooks, this is group coaching with me directly uh, three weeks a month for 90 minutes as well as access to all of my courses, all of my masterclasses, uh, a community channel so that you can ask me and the others in the group for advice or feedback or share wins. So this is very, very high level support. Um, it's the most intimate way to work with me directly in 2023. I'm not going to be taking any new one-to-one clients for the foreseeable future. Uh, to be perfectly transparent, it's just a a capacity constraint. I've got something like 700 people on a wait list for one-to-one coaching and I have to be a a bit realistic about my energy (laughs) around that. And so this mastermind is a really, really powerful way to get that high level support. And it will be the only way to work with me directly for the next while. If that sounds interesting to you and you are ready to go really deep and really commit to some profound transformation in this season of your life, please reach out to me. You can either send me a DM on Instagram, or you can send an email to support at stephanierieg.com, and I will send you across some details about that Mastermind program. Okay, thank you for your patience. With all of that out of the way, let's dive into anxious attachment and inconsistency. I think it's really important to frame this discussion And contextualize it a bit. So what am I talking about when I talk about inconsistency? And to be very honest with you, I sort of struggled with what to title this episode because I don't want to frame the sensitivity to inconsistency as an anxious attachment thing, because I do believe that consistency in relationships is really, really important in building safety. And that applies irrespective of your attachment style. That's just something that our systems respond well to, right, is predictability in our environment. And unpredictability or inconsistency breeds anxiety. That's true for anyone. That's not just an anxious attachment thing. So I don't want you to beat yourself up for being sensitive to inconsistency, particularly when that's at the more extreme end of the spectrum. I posted something about inconsistency on Instagram and I had a a few comments from people saying, oh having someone ghost me and stonewalling and being you know extremely hot and cold with me you know i shouldn't have to tolerate that and i completely agree right that is absolutely not what i'm talking about when i say that anxiously attached people are sensitive to inconsistency as i said i think that anyone would be sensitive to that kind of behavior and i personally believe that behavior is less about consistency and more about respect and and for me that would absolutely not be acceptable so just being very clear that i'm not suggesting those behaviors are difficult because of you those behaviors are difficult because they're not conducive to emotional safety and trust in a relationship the kind of inconsistency that i'm wanting to talk about today is something a little more subtle and i think that this might be best illustrated With an example, and this is an example that I gave in this Instagram post that I posted. So I'm just going to read this example out for you. So, say you've just spent a really nice weekend with your partner. You felt really connected to them. Everything felt really good. You felt really optimistic about the relationship. There's this sense of, if it were just like this all the time, that would be perfect. Maybe we're finally onto a good thing. And if I can just hold on to this, And we can just keep riding this wave, it would be amazing, right? And then at the end of the weekend on Sunday night, your partner is a bit quiet. They're a little withdrawn. They're a little low energy. They want some space and they pull away a bit. They don't feel like spending quality time together. While a more secure person might be inclined to look at this in perspective and assume the best, being that their partner is probably tired after a busy weekend and wants some alone time to decompress. An anxiously attached person is likely to be really hurt by that switch from connection to disconnection, really affronted by the change in temperature. There may be a feeling of unfairness or injustice. How dare you do that? You can't just take that away from me, of wondering what happened to suddenly cause that change of asking yourself, you know, why did they have to ruin it? Why did they have to ruin the beautiful weekend by suddenly being in a bad mood on Sunday night? And so in this way, we see that the contrast between moments of connection and disconnection hurts as much as the disconnection itself. So I'm just going to say that again. The contrast, so moving from connection to disconnection, is as distressing if not more so, than the actual disconnection, the actual fact of them being in a bad mood. The fact that you went from having a really beautiful weekend to them being a bit quiet and withdrawn sends your system into disarray because it triggers this sense of unpredictability and something got taken away from me without my control and this sense of powerlessness and being at the behest of of something outside of yourself when it comes to something very fundamental like your sense of safety. So I'm hoping that that sort of sets the scene in the kind of inconsistency I'm talking about here. And so when I say anxiously attached people are hypersensitive or have this particular sensitivity to inconsistency, it's really informed by the fact that for the anxious person, connection feels so good, right? It is highest of highs to feel close and connected to your partner. It feels so very nourishing and safe for your system to be in that state of close connection with a partner. And the corollary of that is that disconnection feels incredibly painful. If you've listened to other episodes of the podcast, you would have heard me speak about this. For the anxiously attached person, connection equals safety. Therefore, disconnection feels like unsafety or danger. So to go from those moments of connection to disconnection feels like going from total safety to extreme danger in your system, even if it is something as minor on the surface as spending the weekend together and then your partner pulling away and needing some time to themselves. Now, before you go and again, beat yourself up for this or think that there's something wrong with you, I want to reassure you that this makes perfect sense in the context of you, in the context of anxious attachment. If you've listened to the podcast episode, What Causes an Insecure Attachment Style, you may remember that inconsistency is actually at the heart of the anxious attachment origin story, meaning, and how that usually looks in early childhood, in early infancy, is that the anxious baby doesn't know whether they're going to get their needs met. So they have this very strong positive association with love and connection. So it's usually a broadly safe environment or at least they have a safe person there. And that feels so good, right? They really they, they want as much of that as they can get. They want to be connected to a caregiver who feels really safe and it feels so nourishing to the system. But the inconsistency means that they don't always know that that's going to be there when they reach for it. So sometimes when I want love and connection, I get my needs met and other times no one's there. And so that unpredictability, that inconsistency creates anxiety. The anxious child becomes very, very good at reading the environment, at gathering evidence, at looking around and going, okay, what were the factors that led to my getting my needs met or not? Is it when my mother is stressed or when my parents are fighting or when I've been naughty or whatever it might be, what are the things that make it more or less likely for me to get my needs met? And it creates this hypervigilance to the environment and this ability to attune to everything that's going on around you and then to try and curate those environmental factors so that you're more likely to get those needs met. And while that's kind of brilliant, right, and we do have to validate how clever that is without anyone telling you you were able to find ways to get your needs met at a time when that was really important to your sense of safety, what it does is creates this total focus on everything outside of yourself and that is kind of where the self-abandonment begins because you're not really attuned to what you need. Your overarching imperative is to make sure that everyone else is stable and happy or whatever else needs to happen in order for you to get that connection need met. And so when we trace that through, we see that in adult romantic relationships very clearly. And we also see why inconsistency or the withdrawal of connection triggers our deepest, oldest wounds. So what do we do about all of this? That might feel overwhelming maybe it feels really validating. I hope it feels validating, but it might also feel really overwhelming to hear all of that, to receive all of that. So what do we do about this? I think a really good first step is, as I always say, self-awareness, curiosity, noticing that about yourself, noticing how even a really slight change in temperature or a slight loss of connection or withdrawal of connection brings up those old fears in you. Okay. Being able to know where that comes from allows us to go, okay, am I reacting to what is happening in the here and now, or are these old fears that are coming up and telling me this isn't safe, this doesn't feel good, we need to do something to fix it urgently, which is usually what our body tells us to do in those situations. So self-awareness is a first step because it allows us to interrupt that lightning fast default protective response that our system will launch us into. And when we pause and we have that moment of self-inquiry, we can ask questions like, what is this really about for me? Am I really in danger right now? Is my relationship really in danger or is it probably fine? What are all of the non-catastrophic explanations for this current situation that feels really challenging for my system? What do I need right now? And the more that you can ask that, what do I need right now question, Without the answer being, I need to get back, you know, into connection with them urgently because that's really outsourcing it, right? It's outsourcing your safety again to the other person, which is, you know, rinsing and repeating that pattern that has characterized your anxious attachment probably for most most of your life. So slowing it down, trying to soothe your own system. And, you know, as a side note, obviously this is all stuff that we go into in a lot of detail in healing anxious attachment in terms of the actual how of doing all of this. Another really important point is knowing what is yours to take responsibility for and what isn't. So one of the really noticeable shifts that you will make as you become more secure, as you do more work around your anxious attachment style, is your emotional and energetic boundaries and your responsibility taking muscles. So if you're anything like most anxiously attached people, and I will put my hand up and say that I am. Really guilty of this, you know, it's a very easy place for me to go, is going into that thing of of curating the environment, of sensing someone's withdrawal or someone's bad mood or someone else's stress or whatever it might be, and scurrying around, squirreling around and trying to fix it in a very subtle way, right? Trying to control it, which we can tell ourselves is we're trying to care for people and we're trying to make sure everyone's okay, but we can also own the fact that there's something quite self-motivated in that, right? Like self-interested in that behavior, because it's really about our sense of calm and safety. We can't tolerate someone being withdrawn or in a bad mood or disconnected from us. So we have this impulse to fix it. So knowing what your boundaries are and knowing what is yours to take responsibility for and what is just not yours is a really important part of this. So for me, a big edge and a big growth point for me in my own relationship has been just not engaging in that, not fussing over it. You know, when my partner is withdrawn or in a bad mood or low energy, it absolutely brings up all of these things I've talked about but I've got enough self-control and self-awareness now that I don't have to feed it. So instead I can go, all right, just, I don't need to be around it. I know that being around it and, you know, asking what's wrong, are you okay? Are you sure nothing's wrong? Asking those sorts of questions stresses out my system and stresses out his system and it, nothing good comes of it. Right? So it's like, can I just put up, like, imagine yourself in a little bubble and just step away from the thing that is triggering you and go, that's not mine. Okay. They're allowed to be in, you know, a bad mood. They're allowed to be tired. They're allowed to be untalkative. I don't need to urgently fix that. I can leave it and I can trust that our relationship is fine and intact and there is no grave threat here despite what my system is telling me. And the more that we can do that, the more our system trusts that those natural ebbs and flows of a relationship can be experienced safely. Whereas if we do try and go into fix-it mode and start gripping and controlling and fussing around it, it usually exacerbates the disconnection and thereby reinforces the story that that disconnection is really unsafe because it might spiral into more of a conflict or more of a fight than it would have been if you'd just left it. I think a final point here is that you can absolutely communicate around this with your partner and you can have boundaries around it. So for me, I've been very direct in explaining to my partner that those sudden changes are really hard for me, that I can't relate personally to, you know, moodiness for want of a better term. I don't experience that myself, just sudden changes in mood and sudden, you know, feelings of withdrawal. And so when it happens in someone else, when it happens in my partner and he does feel kind of flat or quiet or withdrawn, it is really challenging for me. And I do go into that, oh, there's something wrong mode just because I can't relate to it because there would be something wrong if I were experiencing it. So being able to let him into the way that that is for me and the way I experience that he can be more mindful of it. It's not me saying, therefore, you're not allowed to be tired or in a bad mood or or whatever, but it's me just saying, so you're aware this is challenging for me and this is what it brings up for me. He can receive that and go, that makes sense. I can understand how that would be like that from your point of view. And so it actually allows us to understand each other more and be more connected rather than less connected. So It's that taking responsibility, figuring out what's yours, figuring out what's someone else's and then figuring out what needs to be a joint thing. So what needs to be brought into that sort of third entity that is the relationship. And the more that we can vulnerably share with a partner owning, you know, saying, I get that this is my stuff. I get that this is my sensitivity and here's where it comes from. And at the same time, it's real for me. It's not, it's my sensitivity. So just don't worry about it. It's yes, I'm totally owning it. This is a lot of this is mine and my work, but I need you to understand it. And that is really medicinal for you and for the relationship and really does bring you closer and cultivates that really secure, safe container in your relationship. Okay. So I hope that that has been an interesting discussion for you and has given you some food for thought, has given you maybe some insights into your experience and some steps to take. If this is something that you find challenging in your relationships, you know, some areas to focus on for your own growth and, you know, for the growth of your relationship. As always, super appreciative if you can leave a rating or a review. And also a final reminder, definitely join that wait list for Healing Anxious Attachment if you are keen to check out the course, opens in five days. And the Mastermind, that small group working directly with me for five months starting January, if you're interested in that, it's going to be nothing short of life-changing. I feel very confident in saying that. Please reach out to me, support at stephanierigg.com or send me a DM on Instagram and we can go from there. Okay. Thank you so much for joining me guys. I look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks again. Thanks for joining me for this episode of On Attachment. If you want to go deeper on all things attachment, love, and relationships, you can find me on Instagram at stephanie__rig.com or at stephanierigg.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, I'd be so grateful if you could leave a review and a five star rating. It really does help so much. Thanks again for being here. And I hope to see you again soon.